Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Breaking Down the Doors. Joe Rexrode, Adam Sparks at the Tennessean Studios. Adam, do you know why this is my favorite podcast? Why is that? And I, I don't think this is true, but go ahead. Oh, it is, but I'll tell you the the latest reason why is because I barely have to do anything. This is awesome. Oh. Like you have a great interview with Jerry Godowski, the new Vanderbilt offensive coordinator. We recently had a great interview with Tim Corbin. I I mean, I'm needed for like 90 seconds. I'm out of here, which is which is wonderful and wonderful for the listener as well. I think that we should make a rule that until Bryce Drew wins a basketball game, I should not be allowed to really comment on the podcast again about that. <laughs> Whoa, that may be 2020, right? Yeah, I mean, you never know. You never <laughs> Maybe know. Maybe an election year the next time that you speak on that. Um, Which ne- this means Bryce Drew's about to rip off like four straight wins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Jerry Godowski, I sat down with him, uh, the new offensive coordinator, been quarterback's coach and tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator all the way back to 2014. He was on Derek Mason's original staff. Their relationship goes back to New Mexico State and Ohio. Before that, Jerry Godowski was a quarterback at Nebraska in the late 80s, was an all-Big 8 quarterback for Tom Osborne. All-Big 8, everybody, in case you don't remember when it was the Big 8. And so that goes back to – so we go back all the way to his Tom Osborne days, his influences there. He coached under Frank Solich. So he Uh, was – I mean, he was an option quarterback. Yes, he was an option quarterback. And is he going to be an option offensive coordinator? Mm. We we get to that a little bit. He has been the – the guy that has kind of brought uh, Kyle Shermer along. Kyle Shermer's gone. There's a quarterback competition. Riley Neal, the Ball State transfer, and uh, Deuce Wallace. And so we talked about that. Is he going to use Keyshawn Vaughn in a different way or more of a way now that he's got him? He inherits some some skilled guys. So we go through the life of Jerry Godowski in this, and we kind of finish up on spring practice, which will begin Wednesday. And he inherits an offense that's got – Got some tools there, but also got some uh, uh, some issues. To one of them being the quarterback, also rebuilding the offensive line, and so we we run through all that. Let's listen. Okay, so we're here in the Vanderbilt football offices with a new offensive coordinator, Jerry Godowski. Jerry has been here since 2014 on Derek Mason's original staff. You've been tight ends coach. You've been quarterbacks coach. You've been recruiting coordinator. You've kind of run the gamut. You're offensive coordinator now. We're getting really close to spring practice. Um, give me an idea of what this right before spring practice is. Is this like the are y'all doing a lot now, or is it just waiting on hold period? Well, as, as a staff, we're doing a lot. I mean, we we're in a period where we can meet a little bit, you know, film review with with the players for you know a couple hours a week. So we're starting to get some meetings in and just kind of you know set the expectations for for what we want to get done. Maybe a little bit of review of what happened last year. Um, and then as an offensive staff, you know, just really you know, got a couple new guys on the staff. So getting everybody kind of up to speed on, you know, just what we, how we call things. You know, a lot, a lot of times when new coaches come in, you know, we speak different languages a little bit. Um, you know, we know what we're talking about, but just to make sure the communication process and, and how we're calling things and, that is is everybody's on the same page. So I want to walk through kind of your offensive influences, but I want to start way, way, way back. So uh, you grew up in Fremont, Nebraska. Um, you ended up playing for the Nebraska Cornhuskers, obviously. Tell, what's Fremont, Nebraska? How big of a place is that? Talking about 20,000 people, you know, close to Omaha, 30, you know, 30 minutes from Omaha, maybe an hour from Lincoln, kind of right, right in between there. 
Um, you know, so small town, small town Nebraska living. If you if you grow up there, do you? I mean, I assume you're a big Cornhusker fan, right? Growing up, everybody has to be, right? Everybody is. Yes. I mean, you know, you grow up in Nebraska. There's no professional sports team. You know, there's no other Division One institution that that people, you know, talk about. So that's that's really all there is. So growing up there, everybody is a, a Nebraska fan. They're diehards, and if you grow up. You know, being an athlete and playing football, you know, that's that's obviously kind of your your dream is to be able to, to go do that. So when you, you know, you grow up knowing about Tom Osborne and then you end up playing for him, is there is there just idol worship in that state back then of him? Or what was that like for you to play for a guy like that? Well, it's like any anywhere else, you know. I mean, it, you know, for a while, even when I played in earlier, you know, Nebraska couldn't beat Oklahoma. So, you know, it's like anywhere else, hey, you can't win the big one. They, there's people that aren't happy, and, you know, once you've, you know, once you've gone and, and that sort of thing. So, that, you know, there was a little bit of that. But, but obviously, for the most part, you know, he's a, you know, he's a, a legend there. The, the, his record, you know, kind of speaks for itself. And, you know, I was in a, in a unique situation, too, that, you know, growing up, my dad was my high school coach. So... You know, being a high school coach in Nebraska, you know, even at even being young, you know, he would go, you know, go to Lincoln and either watch practices or talk with the coaches and and do those sort of things. So, you know, even from a younger age, tagging along, you know, I was able to kind of see a part of that and and even maybe get to know some of some of the staff and some of those guys even as a as a young guy. So when so he hadn't beaten Oklahoma there early on, so. Was Tom Osborne not Tom Osborne by the time you got there in the mid-'80s? Because I think of him now as he's a Mount Rushmore-type coach. There was a period then in there where there was Nebraska fans that said maybe this guy yeah, is it. Well, yeah, I mean, just like anywhere. You know, you have your your loud, the 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 uh, minority loud group sometimes sure. that... Before Twitter. Right? <laughs> even before Twitter. Yeah. You know, you had, uh, I think back then it was the... The little, you could write into the newspaper, right, uh-huh. and have the little deals on on the bottom. And I guess that was the in the '80s and '90s the Twitter of of that. So so you had people, you know, they would write in, and you know, I'm I'm sure there were columnists at the time that were like, "Why can't we we win the big one?" And you know, obviously, you know, he he never won less than nine games, right. you know, and and you know, talking about influences just. You know, playing for him, he he was the quarterback coach. Oh, he, he was. Yes, okay. so he was the offensive coordinator, also called the plays, and was the head coach. So, you know, being a quarterback there, you know, obviously I spent a lot of time with him, and you know, just the way, you know, the way he prepared us and the way he prepared, watching that, it, it was just very consistent, very even keel, very. Um, you know, was never any big ups and downs, and and it really didn't matter. You know who we were playing that week. All right, so you were all Big Eight. Uh, now was later Big Twelve. It was Big Eight when you were there, though. Yeah, big yeah. Eight when I played. Yes. So you, there for four years. Uh, your four years, you lettered three years: ten and two, ten and two, eleven and two, and ten and two. Uh, you're the starter your senior year, I believe. Um, co-offensive player of the year, I think, in the conference. So you had a really good career. When when I 
searched uh, when I searched Nebraska quarterbacks, I found some rankings of Nebraska quarterbacks, and there were a lot of good ones. You were on the list. I thought it was interesting that there was a little note in there that said, "If only he had redshirted." <laughs> so yeah, so, so so you know what this is, right? Right. So in the in the seventies and eighties at Nebraska, we had a freshman team. So you know we had. 180, 200 guys on the team. You know, there'd be the the group of scholarship guys that came in, and then there may be, you know, 50 guys that walked on. And so we had a, a freshman team, or a freshman team my freshman year. So I played freshman football. We played, you know, junior colleges. Um, I think we played the, the Air Force Academy maybe had a freshman team. And that was just kind of how at that at that point it was done. You played freshman ball, and then you redshirted your second year, mm-hmm. and then you had three years where you know you played, and that was just kind of the system that you know when I got there, that's what everybody did. So, not redshirting my freshman year, then I get to my sophomore year, and some guys made some position changes you know, from quarterback to wide receiver or DB, and all of a sudden numbers-wise, you know, I'm, I'm the third guy, and it's like, well, I think we, we want you to play. You know, I tell you, I want you to play, you play. Right, right. <laughs> and so, you know, so I had to wait my turn. I, I played behind a, a guy named Steve Taylor for, you know, really three years, and he was a good player, and – Never, never really got an opportunity to, to start until that that senior year, which was my fourth year. And then, so that's kind of going back and looking at well, you you know, you played freshman ball. You know, if you would have redshirted, then you would have had that year on on the back end of it. And so, that's that's where that's coming from. So in the in the timeline of Nebraska quarterbacks, you're after Turner Gill mm-hmm. and Steve Taylor. You're before Tommy Frazier, Eric Krause, yep. Scott Frost. That run. Yes. Um, so when okay when you think about red shirts then um, and Cal Shermer that you've been the quarterbacks coach for, you had to take the red shirt off of him mm-hmm. his freshman year. Ended up being the all-time passing leader at Vanderbilt. So obviously that worked out. But you had to make a decision, not just you, but as a staff with him his freshman year whether or not to play him. You've got Jamil Muhammad here now. Alan Walters red shirted mm-hmm. last year. How does your own uh, experience with that influence your thoughts of is this guy ready or will he be better if we hold him out a year I think there's a lot of factors that go into it I think just think everybody would probably agree that you know you're probably going to be a better player your fifth year in the program than you are your first year in the program you know just it's, it's kind of common sense but you also have to to look at all all the factors of you know what's what's best for the team you know, getting that experience, that game experience sometimes is, you know, invaluable for a guy. And, you know, I think you look at Kyle, what he did coming in as a as a freshman, you know, I mean, he was probably just trying more not to screw it up than, than anything else. But certainly that experience, you know, that, that first year helped him develop and, and helped him, you know, be who he was those especially the last couple of years. So before we move further into your career, I, so I grew up in Tennessee. So when I'm growing up in late 80s, 90s, 
it was SEC was everything. That was the pinnacle of college football as far as we knew. You know, you watched your Jefferson Pilot game of the week and your CBS game of the week and all that. You grew up in Nebraska not too many years before that, and you're seeing different games than I am. What was the perspective of a Nebraska fan of SEC football when you were growing up? It's hard to say, and I don't. I don't really remember because back if you remember back then, I mean there weren't that many games on TV, right? You know, so you, you were in you, your bubble. Yeah, you got the game that was in your area, or you know, there might have been two or three games that ABC or whoever would pick from, and that's what you watched. So you never really got an opportunity to to see those other teams. You know, you might read about them or you know look at the rankings and and look at that kind of stuff, but it. You didn't get that visual uh, effect, so to speak, that you do today. When you know you can watch, you know, on any given Saturday, yeah, it's you can watch any game you want. It wasn't really. too long ago where you would say, "Well, we're on TV, so you want to come here." In recruiting, now it's everybody is on everywhere, streaming, Facebook Live, whatever. Yep. You, everywhere you play, you're on TV. So I, I was just curious about that. So, okay, you were an option quarterback. And you're here, and there's some read option stuff here, but it's a lot of pro style, a lot of tight end, throw to the tight end, that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So I want to get an idea of kind of where your influences were in there. Uh, South Dakota State, New Mexico State, Ohio, mm-hmm. and then here. You were a GA, I think, at Nebraska I was a GA also. At Nebraska also. So uh, now let me say this first. I think it's interesting with your story is that everywhere you've been, you've been a position coach and then you were elevated to offensive coordinator. I think there's something to that of a guy that is on a staff and then given keys to the even better car, so to speak. Is it? Why do you think that is that you you haven't been hired as the offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. you've been elevated each time? Um, you know, I think I, you get opportunities, you know, with, with people you know, you know, first of all. You know, I, the, the very first job I got at South Dakota State, you know, one of the, the high school coaches that my dad knew was in the office and a guy from South Dakota State was coming through town and he introduced me and that's kind of how I was able to get an interview for that, that first job as a, as a, you know, coming from being a GA to getting the first one. My wife said, hey, I'll go anywhere with you, just not South Dakota or North Dakota. <laughs> and we ended up at, in Brooking, South Dakota, that, that first job. So, um, but I think it's just, it's really a matter of, you know, showing up every day and understanding, you know, what your role is and, and what you need to focus on and try to get, you know, whatever it is that's your little niche, try to get them to be the best that they can be. And I think if you do that on a day-to-day basis, you know, you can can be somewhere. You know, I was lucky. I was at New Mexico State for eight years, Ohio for nine years, going on six years here. And, and obviously in this profession sometimes that's, you, you know, you don't see that very often. And I think part of that is just because I've been loyal to the guys I've worked for. I've shown up every day and tried to do, you know, what I needed to do to, again, get whether it's the tight ends or the quarterbacks or, you know, whatever that, that piece was, get them to, to try to reach their potential and be the best they can be. And, you know, fortunately, you know, I've coached, some some good players and they've done well you know Kyle had a had a great career and I think that leads to you know more opportunities 
he coached under Tony Samuel. I think mm-hmm. New Mexico State. I knew Tony a little bit. I covered the Sunbelt Conference back in the day. Okay. Charismatic guy, great yeah. guy. Uh, you were at Solich at mm-hmm. uh, Frank Solich at Ohio. And those were both Nebraska guys. So they were yeah. they were assistants under right. Tom Osborne. They were assistants when I played there. And so, you know, going to work for those guys, you know, you knew, you know, coming up under Coach Osborne, you knew how you were going to get treated. You knew kind of the system. You knew how their, what their approach was going to be. And, you know, so it, it, it was easy and comfortable. And – Derek Mason was at New Mexico State, mm-hmm. same staff, just for a short period of time at Ohio. I think a wide receivers coach, mm-hmm. if I remember. What what was that like? You were quarterbacks coach. He was a wide mm-hmm. receivers coach. I tend to think Derek is very comfortable in partnerships. Him and Andy Ludwig had a very good partnership mm-hmm. that had to play a role in y'all's relationship now as offensive coordinator. You feel like you have a pretty good partnership with Derek. Yeah, I think so. You know, when it was it was our last my last year at New Mexico State, we hired Derek to be the wide receiver coach. And so, you know, I think from any time you're on an offensive staff or a defensive staff and you're in the room together and you're working together and, you know, the approach and how you bounce ideas off each other and and then the what you end up getting done on the field and success, you know, you obviously build relationships that way. And, you know, when – then Coach Solis got the job at Ohio. You know, there was Nebraska tie guys that went there, and through that, we were like, "Hey, we need to bring, need to bring Coach Mason with us, or yeah. we need we need to get him here as the wide receiver coach." So he was there for two years at Ohio with Coach Solich and and with us there as the wide receiver coach. And so so again, you know, that same kind of situation where we're in the room together for two years, and you know. Uh, that second year went to a bowl game for the first time in a lot of years in Ohio football history. And now obviously what they've done there for coach has been there now for 14 years and 10 bowl games or something like that. It's, it's pretty amazing. The the consistency. What was Derek like? How is he different from then as a young position coach to a head coach now? Uh, I think he, he was pretty similar, you know, really? I mean, yeah, I mean, he, you know, I think he was he was charismatic with the players, and the players liked him. And um, you know, he's very demanding, and and all all the things. I think you when you see him now, I think he was you know very very similar. And I mean, the the thing for me, you know, was was again being around him for three years and and working closely with him. Again, you know you know what kind of person you're going to go work for, and you know how they're going to treat people and you know, so for me, when he when he called, you know that it, it was kind of a no no brainer decision. You know, when I got here, I didn't know what I was going to coach. He really? Just said, just... Hey, let's go. We'll we'll figure it out. And so, you know, I think the first couple of weeks, I was maybe going to coach wide receivers, and ended up with the tight ends. And you know, it, it's been fine. Well, you know what you're going to coach now. Um... As a play caller, uh, are you are are you already thinking through how you want to be different from? You have a different quarterback, so it's going to be a different offense mm-hmm. anyway. Have you already started thinking through what's going to be there during the season? Or are you in spring practice mode and let's start clean slate and see what I have first? Well, I think the the big thing you know in this transition for for all of us offensively was you know 
we didn't want a whole bunch of big changes. And, yeah. And and really, it really comes down to, I guess you'd call it the nuts and bolts of what we do. Again, talking about the the communication and the terminology and and all that stuff. We've got, you know, four years invested in, even though it's it's really Andy's kind of system as far as. You know, when he got here, hey, let's we're gonna call stuff this way. Yeah. But having that much time invested in it, we didn't want to to change for the players the nuts and bolts of what we do, how we call stuff, what we do. Now, you know, from here, obviously, you know, uh, you know, Cam Norcross and Aaron Moorhead, you know, were a big part of 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 what we did last year, and so that that kind of core is there. But you know, you're always looking and okay. What can we do different? What what can we do better? What can we do a little bit, you know, to change things up a little bit? So, you know, we've obviously had those those kind of conversations, and um, you know, a big a big part of of it will be the quarterback spot. But you know, when you have a guy like Keyshawn Vaughn and a guy like Pinkney and a guy like Kalijah, you know, you got a pretty good place to start from. I mean, it. it it's not that hard, you know. Get those guys the ball <laughs> somehow. It's, figure it out. It's not. That, it's not that hard. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hold on to that. <laughs> when the regular season comes, it's not that hard. Uh, okay, okay. Well, let me let me go to Keyshawn Vaughn. So, uh, you know, last year there was the sense of well, he hasn't been used enough. He hadn't got enough carries. I do think there's a reasonable counter to that, which was you guys had a running back rotation early on when Keyshawn did get a lot of carries. He got banged up some. Um, and then later in the year, because he had not had as many carries, he was fresh. His best was at the end of the year. So I think there's two sides to that argument. But what do you think the potential there is of Keyshawn having seen him for a full season and how much you can use him? I'm not asking for how many carries. Right, but. right. Well, obviously, I, I mean, I think he's he is a, can be a special guy. I mean, you, you, he obviously showed that at times. I mean, the bowl game. You know, you go back and, and watch the tape and, and watch the game. You know, it's it's pretty impressive what what he did in that game. And there's flashes throughout the throughout the year. You know, of runs. You know, certain runs here and, and certain games there. And you know, I think just just overall, you know, the if he can stay healthy and and be consistent, you know. The, the sky's the limit for, for what he can accomplish. Now, you know, he's a running back, so there's a lot of things that, that go into that. Obviously, there's five guys up front sure. that, that have to, to block people. And, um, you know, I know he he understands that, that they're a big part of it. And the receiver's blocking downfield. There's there's a lot lot of other things that go into it. But he's, he's certainly a, a very physically talented guy that I really think – in this off season, you know, it has taken, you know, all three of those guys really, you know, uh, Jared and um, Kalijah also have taken a, a, a bigger role in wanting to to be leaders and and you know the accountability factor of everybody, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing. I think those guys have done a great job so far in, in the last couple months. And I would imagine that leadership is needed, especially when you're bringing in a new quarterback, regardless of who it is. Uh, because Kyle was, he was it on that offense. Kyle Shermer was. So you've got Deuce Wallace, who you worked with. Uh, Riley Neal comes in as a Ball State transfer. Mo Hassan still here. Alan Walters, Jamil Muhammad. 
all those guys can run to some mm-hmm. extent, and you're rebuilding your offensive line, so that mobility, I'm sure, is going to be going to be helpful to some extent. What's your feeling of that quarterback room going into spring practice? I'm excited about about the room. You know, again, I think there's there's physically talented guys in there. You know, you've got Deuce, who obviously has the most experience in the system, um, and and understanding of what what we do you have Riley who has the most just experience you know being a guy that's that started approximately 30 games or something like that in in college football has played at Notre Dame has played in Big Ten stadiums and and been a part of that that kind of atmosphere Um, and then all those all those young guys I think you know everybody talks about how important the bull prep is for a guy like Allen who you know, was the backup for the last couple of weeks and, and into the bowl game for him to get those practices. I mean, he may, you know, jump leaps and bounds as far as, you know, his ability to be ready to play in that in that time period. So you know, all those guys we're excited about and you know it'll be it'll be interesting this spring to see how, you know, it all shapes up. Well you've coached some of those guys but you haven't coached Riley Neal. Do you do you kind of come in with your eyes wide open of, I just want to see this play out, or do you have a preconceived notion of what you think you'll see? I think you go in with your eyes wide open. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you, it's it's a it's a competition, and I think, you know, that's, you know, they understand that, and I think they've, you know, they're taking that approach. And the, the good thing is, you know, when, when you look at all those guys, their personalities, they're, you know, they're good guys, yeah. you know, and people like them and they get along and, um, you know, sometimes that's hard, you know, when you're competing for a job and, you know, you, but your friends and, you know, you're, you're in the weight room lifting together and you're in the winter workouts running together and trying to push each other to, to, to get better. You know, ultimately, especially at the quarterback position, only one guy can go out there on the, the first play of the, the first game. And so, but they're all working very hard, and um, it'll be, you know, it'll be a, a tough job to sort through it all. You'll get 900 questions on who's the starting quarterback. Or no, or maybe Derek will. Derek may shield <laughs> you a little bit. Uh, there's this weird thing at every school or team that, well, let's figure out who's ahead and who's behind. Fans do this a lot. Some writers do this, unfortunately, is that, well, this guy completed 7 of 10 today in 7 of 7, so he's definitely ahead of stats of practice and all these things that are somewhat meaningless. What do you look – if you say this is my starting quarterback, what does that person need to do to convince you that this is a guy I can trot out in the season opener? You know, we really talk about, you know, a couple things a lot. And, and, and number one is, is ball security. Yeah. You know, you know, when you go back and even look at when Kyle first started playing, a big part of it was he didn't turn ball it over. security. Yeah. Right. I mean, so that's that's really the number one job of anybody that handles the ball is to take care of it. And so we you know, we have to have a guy that, you know, is gonna not throw it into bad spots, is gonna take care of it when, when they're in the pocket and when they're running with it and, and all those things. So that's I mean, the number one thing they have to do is, is take care of the, the football. And then, you, you know, from there, then you go into the, the execution part of the offense and, 
you know, understanding what we're trying to do. We put a lot on those guys that's played as far as in the running game, getting us into the the right looks in the passing game. There's a lot on their plate as far as pass protection. And, and, that's, sure. and that's what Kyle did and, and so that, well. No, there's no doubt. I mean, that that was but you Kyle's strength. But you can't expect – I thought a lot of times what Kyle did best was he got you out of a pass into a run or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And But you can't expect these guys to necessarily do it to that level. Not at first, probably. Yeah. Um, you know, but but I think we can I think we can get there. I think we can get there with them. Um, so that that execution part, you know, it, do they understand what we're trying to do? Can they get us in the right plays and the right protections? And can they make the throws? You got to be an accurate thrower. You know, I mean, we we if we can, we got Kyle up into the low sixties. You mm-hmm. know, this this last year, and if yeah. we can if we can stay there, or get a little higher. You know, with with what we do that. I think that that puts us in a good position, and then, you know, there's a, to me, the kind of the the intangible thing. Then you go to as far as, you know, what what kind of leader are they? How are they handling the ups and downs? Are they able to to get through, and to the other side when something bad happens? You know, to them in a, in a series or in a practice. How do they how do they handle that? How do they you know, can they make some plays different? You know, and that's, I think you alluded to it. You know, Kyle did things with his, you know, getting us into a protection or into this play or, you know, and, and, but, but other guys sometimes can do things with their feet, you know, make a guy miss and scramble and pick up a first down or, or buy a little bit more time and, and make a throw. So, you know, how do you handle those kind of situations as a quarterback? Um, you know, all, all those kind of factors are, are kind of what you look at. So l- last thing here is that uh, you mentioned before a lot of this is going to be similar to what you guys have run before. Uh, continuity is good. Do you want to mimic a little bit of what the offense was when Andy Ludwig was calling plays early on and then, and then gradually put your stamp on it? Or are you wanting to put your personality in this well, offense quickly? Yeah, I think, you know, again – I. I don't want to say it's my personality because, mm-hmm. you know, our, our offensive staff, we work really closely together and, you know, we talk through everything that we do. But I think that, yeah, we want to put this, the, the, the 2019 group, whether, you know, whether you talk offensive staff or just offense in general, you know, we'll, we'll try to put our stamp on it pretty early. Well, Jerry, I appreciate you joining us. You're about to go into your spring practice bunker. Uh, you don't shave during spring practice, <laughs> I think, right? Uh, so, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Maybe well, maybe I need to shave. A lot of the coaches don't. So, uh, <laughs> shower, shave, any of that sort of stuff. So, anyway, Jerry, appreciate you joining us. Yep, thank you. So there you have it, folks, uh, the new offensive coordinator. But before we go, I do want to ask you, Adam, your your surprise level at this hire when it was official. I think there was a long time of this being tossed about, rumored. I think we you know we discussed it a lot as a, as a distinct possibility. Uh, what do you think? What did you think when it happened? And what do you think of the hire? Well, I wasn't surprised too much. Uh, the longer it went on, uh, you know, I've said before I thought the prerequisite for the offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt would be that he got along with Derek Mason, that there was a partnership there. Carl Durrell was the first OC that Derek Mason had in his first year. 
They were good friends. They were not good partners. A lot of tension there. Andy Ludwig and Derek Mason did have a good relationship, a good partnership. And the fact that Jerry Godowski has been close with Derek Mason all the way back to those years at New Mexico State and Ohio, I thought it made a lot of sense. And the fact that Godowski has been a uh, OC and a play caller at this is his fourth school to do this, I thought there was enough of a pedigree there and a good partnership that it, it seemed to make sense. We'll see if it works. Absolutely. So spring football starting up on Wednesday. One of the worst things in all of sports, but I know some people enjoy it, and it will be interesting with Vanderbilt uh, and this offense, um, you know, because there's a ton of skill position potential. And as Adam said earlier, you know, the quarterback is, is going to be the bulk of the attention, but the offensive line to me is a huge part of this. You know, finding five guys you feel good about, and if you can be okay there, feel fine there, then I think there's a ton of upside. Well, and you've still got the, the, the deal where a lot of graduate assistant or graduate transfers, I'm sorry, are coming in at the end of or at the beginning of summer into August. So there will be spots of this lineup that'll be a little different in the fall, but they won't get them yet. They'll have to figure out what the what hand they're dealt in the spring and then add to it in the fall. There you have it. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down the Doors. At some point soon, we will have to return to the topic of basketball. Thanks for listening.